The Death of Cool. So what is cool anyway? Since I lack any quality of coolness myself, perhaps I could offer some insights as an outside observer. If you are not very cool like me, then you might be achingly aware of the existence of cool through a lack. Or maybe I'm just being coy, a form of cool anti-cool, so buyer beware. In any case, the first thing to point out about cool is the following. Just as the meek will inherit the earth, the uncool will inherit the cool. What is cool today was once the very essence of awkwardness, in other words. Cool always begins as the ugly duckling. Cool never cared about being cool, before it was commodified, that is. By way of example, it would appear that Texas is now considered cool, whereas it was utterly uncool just a decade ago. California, on the other hand, is totally uncool today and all the cool people want to leave. An inversion has taken place and cool is all about this timely inversion. On the other hand, being so uncool, maybe I'm wrong. And when Ellen Musk moved to Texas, it lost its status of cool. The point is, cool is always beyond the horizon. The creators of cool fashions, artifacts, or artistic production or anything novel and deep for that matter, were mostly nerds, weirdos, and outcasts in the beginning. They discovered cool by virtue of a certain asymmetry, as Alex Ebert puts it. By adding a cigarette, the loser at the party becomes the cool outsider. Cool needs a bit of fire and smoke. Asymmetry is cool. Lopsidedness is cool. Awkwardness is cool, if weaponized. I'm speaking about the alchemical side of cool, the ability to transform poison into nectar, loneliness and pathos into art, to make something that is completely wrong and somehow right. Morrissey, for instance, made nihilistic angst and whining cool. He turned bad adolescent poetry into high art and maybe even a quasi-religion. That is the power of cool to turn lead into gold. Pseudo-cool. So what is the negative side of cool? As Alex Ebert says, cool gets instantly commodified when it is found out. Cool becomes Che Guevara t-shirts on bourgeois Parisians. It is a poisonous and ironic substance that can be easily copied and reproduced. Cool spawns armies of pseudo-cool. Cool creates this terrible plague of fashion victims. Of course, I'm being ironic and sarcastic here a form of pseudo-cool, I suppose. However, I'm not criticizing the original creators of fashion, but the idiot followers that are contemptibly uncool. Therefore, to be cool, you have to be anything but a syncophantic devotee of cool. Fashion victimhood is the opposite of authentic cool. Genuine cool, on the other hand, can't be copied. Nobody can play trumpet like Miles Davis, for instance, who coined the term the birth of the cool, although his imitators are legion. Authentic, higher-order cool has something of the novel, but also the eternal. Its discoveries are always fresh and never dated. Cool jazz was about breaking down the dogmas of the uncool and creating modes of improvisation to replace formal structures. Cool jazz, or cool music in general, is cool because it breathes because it isn't afraid to make mistakes, because it turns its back on the audience and inwards towards pure creation. Pseudo-cool is something else. 
It is characterized by the herd-like followers of trends and memes, the ones who wear designer running shoes and show off their iPhone covers. iPhones are the furthest thing from authentic cool, obviously. They are a simulacrum of the cool black box, representing design and mass consumption, rather than the naturalness, style, or libido the cool embodies. Apple commodified cool way back in the 80s and therefore lost all claims to being authentically cool. Once cool is mass replicated, it is no longer cool, just cold. Authentic cool begins in the margins or in the provinces, in slavery, suffering, or just alienation. The authentic cool person is a person who has been through the fire. Arthur Rambaud, for instance, perhaps the coolest poet who ever lived, came from the provinces, not Paris, France. Today, all the cool rappers in France come from Brittany or Saint-Denis, where they make art to beautify and escape from the ugliness and stress of their surroundings. It may be that African-Americans invented post-war cool, but not without the help of French cool. Serge Gainsbourg, for instance, a Holocaust survivor and talented songwriter, is the epitome of French Jewish cool. When Gainsbourg burned his money on national TV as a nihilistic fuck you to the world, he gained a certain immortality. However, cool has its price for sensitive souls, as we know from Gainsbourg's degenerate later years. If African Americans invented post-war cool, it was quickly commodified and whitewashed or transformed to pop by a certain Liverpool band and everybody else. The original spirit of African American music remains soulful and deeply cool. It can be rediscovered through humble submission to lineage, even if it is always changing form and can't be recaptured nostalgically. You have to learn to copy the masters first before you can ever be cool. Bob Dylan copied Woody Guthrie and David Bowie copied the New York Dolls, for instance. The emergence of cool is a mysterious transformation which appears to be a gift from the gods, but the gods require great discipline and sacrifice. Jazz music is America's greatest gift of high art cool. Rap music in the pop world has killed rock and roll because it is so much cooler. Rock and roll gets less and less cool as time goes on, perhaps because it was overly marketed to teenagers and lacks enduring sophistication, unlike jazz or even country music for that matter. The man in black, Johnny Cash, became cool in his twilight years, showing young punks the depth of American songwriting. Authentic cool is the reward and grail of a genuine quest. The chivalrous knight might be the original cool. The danger, of course, is that authentic cool is copied and sold for quick cash. Again, the uncool will inherit the cool. For instance, as strange as it sounds, in the 1980s, the Grateful Dead were the height of countercultural cool in the United States, and their followers invented the Burning Man Festival. The Dead, as they are known by their fans, were an important but obscure band from the 1960s. By the 1980s, they were the most successful touring band in the world, despite never having had a hit record. The Dead were completely wrong in every way for the 1980s. They had zero style or charisma. They were a bunch of middle-aged white men who performed in Birkenstocks and cargo shorts, and their studio albums were mediocre. However, they cared so little about the appearance of cool that they soon became the embodiment of cool. Asymmetry again. Egolessness and tribalism were the natural reaction to the materialism, plasticity, and individualism of 80s synth pop. 
Another point about authentic cool, it is not pop. It has an esoteric quality. Cool exists on the other side of the popular membrane, in other words. After seeing the Grateful Dead in concert, I came to realize that a complicated esoteric initiation was necessary before one could enter the membrane of their music, which was not the boring psychedelic noodling that I had assumed it to be, but a form of authentic archetypal American music. Dead concerts were genuinely ecstatic and carnivalesque, and yet had a cathartic depth as well. But as soon as the Grateful Dead got their first hit record and became officially popular, they were near the end of cool. The membrane was broken. In ancient Africa, kings were ritually slaughtered every few years. Cool demands human sacrifice and subsequent immortality. See René Girard's The Scapegoat Theory. Jerry Garcia, the leader of the Grateful Dead, couldn't handle the coolness and popularity that his band represented in the 1980s and allowed heroin to kill him in the early 1990s. In Garcia's last interview, he talked about how much he identified with Frankenstein's monster. Sadly, Garcia was fated to wander into the Arctic wastes to die like Mary Shelley's creation. The monster, the scapegoat, is sacrificed and becomes enshrined forever in the pyramid of the cool, the fate of so many rock stars. The overweight and tragic Garcia with his gray hair was given angel wings and he became an icon of cool, an immortal demigod. The cool is always monstrous and uncanny to a certain extent. A vampire is another symbol of the cool. He is literally cool to the touch and yet he consumes the warmth of others. Like the vampire, the cool feeds on the hot-blooded in other words, the aristocrat feeds on young nubile creatures. The dead feeds on the living. The vampirism of cool is essentially aloof. It is like the rock star feeding off the flesh of groupies or the heroin addict, allowing the drug to consume his or her own flesh. Cool has an essential lack of heat. But at the same time, because of this inverse quality, it attracts heat, it seeks heat, it sucks in vital solar energy, the way a black hole does. Authentic cool is about ritual inversions. That is why cool young men wear makeup and platform shoes on stage and have snake-like bodies, while cool women wear suits and are assertive and tough. Yves Saint Laurent invented the feminine three-piece suit, which allowed women fashion equality at work, which Israeli pop star Noga Erez has so beautifully embodied and made cool today. Shrouded in mystery, Erez doesn't show off her body, but hides in an oversized suit, making her mysteriously sexy. Cool is veiled in one way or another. Generally speaking, while divas are hot, male rock stars are cool. The hot female pop star tends to be a smoldering volcano of sexual invitation, whereas the male rock star turns his back on the crowd, as Bob Dylan always does. The male rock star is lunar and mercurial. He is unreachable, coy, mysterious, evasive, the David Bowie alien, a waif. The female pop star, on the other hand, is sulfurous, the opposite pole in medieval alchemy to Mercury. By the way, unlike the Peter Pan androgynous rock star, the normal macho guy with big muscles isn't really cool. Bruce Springsteen, for example, became uncool as soon as he became a gym rat. Again, cool is aristocratic rather than popular, and it requires some distortion, some abnormality, the mark of Cain. Cool men are always a bit affected and effeminate. 
Cool women, masculine and assertive. Cool men are hypersensitive and moody. Cool women are tough and bitchy. In Jungian terms, cool men are anima-possessed, or possessed by the feminine side. And cool women are animus-possessed, possessed by her masculine side. That is why cool men often have long hair, and cool women often have short and spiky hair. Cool is a subversion of classical gender roles. For men, cool is the domain of the per artemis, the golden boy. Artists who survive to adulthood find a way of preserving this golden boy by keeping alive their childlike creativity. The only other options are to die young or to become a normie. Tom Waits always understood the theatrical quality of the per artemis and therefore was able to master it through intense musical discipline in isolation. Check out his song, I Don't Want to Grow Up, if you want to know what I'm talking about. Adult cool requires some monastic discipline, just as youthful cool is hedonistic. Nostalgia is pseudo-cool. Mercurial destruction and reconstruction is authentic cool. Tom Waits remained creative, while the Rolling Stones became a caricature of cool pretty early. The Stones had been pseudo-cool since 1971, making billions of dollars through the commodification of a simulacrum of cool. The commodification of cool is big money, but it also kills authentic cool. As another illustration, Paul McCartney, one of the richest men in the world, had more talent than the rest of the Beatles, but he wasn't really that cool. John Lennon, on the other hand, was the shaman walrus of cool and became an immortal through dying young. The best authentic cool is theatrical and wears masks. It is never about the ego, but about various transcendental cells which the performer can inhabit and discard at will. That is why Dylan and Bowie had so many personalities. They never allowed their audiences to pin them down to any image of self. They knew that cool was theatrical and cathartic in the true Dionysian sense, and were always in a state of convulsive transformation and flirtation with death, or at least the dark side of life. Authentic cool is dangerous. The shaman artist, or the most realized manifestation of cool, is the hero of a thousand faces, to quote Joseph Campbell. He can play with multiple personas. He can be many people at once. He can inhabit the psyche of the opposite sex, or of an animal, or of a mineral for that matter. He or she can never be pinned down to any one thing. There is something transhuman about cool. Authentic cool is a dance of the shaman, but unmastered and unrealized, it becomes anima and animus possession. It kills you in the end. Thank you for listening.